Welcome to Choosing Leadership, a podcast for high performers with big dreams and for leaders who know that they are more powerful than the level that they are currently playing. I am Sumit Gupta, your host and the founder CEO of the Deploy Yourself School of Leadership. I am here to help the best leaders get better and to help organizations massively improve their output and impact and at the same time eradicating workplace stress. Yes. completely eradicating not just reducing completely eradicating i believe in creating a future and a work culture where people wait for mondays not fridays and get to do their most meaningful work the aim of this podcast is not to provide you more content but instead shift the context under which you operate this podcast is titled choosing leadership because that is what leadership is a choice In each episode I will celebrate leaders who have made such choices which are not always easy and comfortable but which has helped them get to where they are today. And let us celebrate the leader in us for choosing to move over our fears, for choosing to be motivated by something bigger than ourselves and for choosing to deal with every challenge that comes on the way. Let us celebrate you right now for stepping into the unknown and taking courageous action as those were the moments when you chose leadership at the end i will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast and with that let's get started david is the head of data at metaplane.dev and a data leader in credit payments pricing e-commerce and revenue management in the interview david shares how he grew up with a love of maths and physics and how that changed once he started to manage people we spoke about mentoring coaching and the important role of emotions and empathy in building strong relationships he shared an example of how playing football led to a breakthrough in conversation which was not happening otherwise and that led to an interesting conversation between us hi david welcome to the choosing leadership podcast hi sumi great great thanks for having me It's so wonderful to have you here with us today. And for our listeners, can you begin with sharing who you are and what do you do? I'm head of data at a company called Metaplane. So what Metaplane does is a data observability platform. Now, what does that mean? <laughs> so in data, there's a burgeoning kind of field of observability, which is reflecting what happened in software engineering about ten or fifteen years ago. With the likes of New Relic and Splunk and Datadog, and so data observability is relatively new in data. I think the first companies in the space came out to most two or three years ago, and it's focused on testing data, but testing data for things which aren't boolean outcomes, which aren't yes, this is good, no, this is bad. This is it's where it's a scalar, and we need to use methods. with time series analysis and confidence intervals to understand whether this is an anomaly or whether this is normal. Yeah, yeah, and before we get into that, can you share a little bit of your backstory? How you got where you are today? Yeah, going back to school, I guess. I I was very much a STEM subject person. I studied maths, computer science, physics, and that those were like my leaving subjects when I left school. I then went on to study maths at university and with some economics and management mixed in 
but primarily maths. And after that, I didn't really, I hadn't really decided what to do as a kid. So I did, I did, I was 17 and to go into data. That was not what I, <laughs> that was not what I understood. I, at that age, I was thinking about the kind of companies I might want to join. And given that my back, I'm from London and I grew up in East London. The city of London at the time was a very attractive place for young people to consider making themselves a career. So I just thought a numerate and quantitative minded person that study maths is quite generic. It will allow me to do many different things. So upon finishing my maths degree, I had an internship at a big four accounting firm and started on the grad scheme there, found it wasn't what I expected it to be because during my internship, I'd done things in the tax advisory part where you build models and analyses on, on how to improve the tax situation for a client. And that was quite interesting from an intellectual point of view for me and how you build those models was, was actually quite fun, but upon going into the full graduate scheme, it actually spent a lot of time doing audit, which wasn't <laughs> what I really wanted to do. So I ended up moving on quickly, relatively soon and started my first data role, which was an analyst role. And I didn't know anything about much about data. I'd only really learned Excel at this point. And I knew I liked analysis. So I went for an analyst role. I also had the choice at the time to where someone had approached me about a software engineering role. And I didn't really understand that, that was at all. So I didn't, I chose not to go, which is funny later in the story. But then I took my first analyst role. That's where that SQL, the first database I used was an Oracle database, which was used for analytics at Picardo. So I was a strategy and trading analyst at Ocado, and I, that's where I learned most of my core skills, which have probably still lasted till today, apart from maybe Excel and DBA, which I've moved away from in the last quite a few years. It's actually been a few years since I've used them for tooling. And so that's, that was a start career where I spent a long, still about half of my career. And I did different roles there, including cost modeling, what you'd call analytics engineering today and pricing analytics, all the roles pretty data-driven or, and a lot to do with data modeling really. And then from there, I want to go back into mainstream data and that's how I've ended up in different data leadership roles. So my, so the first time I led the data team was actually at the end of my term time at WorldPay where I built one from scratch and it was, it was a portfolio pricing team. So we were looking at things like the profitability of our portfolio, building regression curves to understand what was normal pricing, finding outliers, building campaigns to rectify those outliers and to just educate a policy based on mathematical methods. So that's, so I built a team around that with one, I guess what you'd call today, an analytics engineer and two analysts who were focused on driving the, driving the changes based on the data that we had. From there, I moved to a fintech company where I was head of data and analytics. I wanted to become a bit more generic. The role was at WorldPay were very specialized towards payments as you might expect. And so this role was much more focused on building out the BI infrastructure required and providing analysis and reporting. And 
this is where I started to see some of the problems with being some of the problems with the existing stack that we've always had with things like Oracle and MySQL Server, which very often struggled on the load, couldn't handle concurrent. See, and we saw the emergence of tools like Snowflake come out and present themselves as solutions to these tools. And I brought in Snowflake to Elevate, which was the FinTech I was working at. Yeah. And saw a pretty transformative effect on our ability to run much larger pieces of work very fast. So I remember there being a job that we used to run on our replica production database, which was a MySQL database. It used to take two to four hours to run on a snowplate. Large warehouse, it would take 23 seconds. So it's like that level of experience from moving to better tooling and tooling suited to the model world. And so I built a team there of data scientists and analysts. It was a bit frustrating there for me because actually as someone who spent a lot of time doing the engineering work, the engineering work was adjacent to me. I had a I had some team members who were inside the IT org who, and I was inside finance technically at that point, as I had been for most of my career. And that led to friction because I didn't have control over the kind of work they were doing. And they spent a lot of time handholding SQL Server and I didn't get the changes I needed and I wasn't allowed to make the changes myself. And it was, that was quite a frustrating time. And one of those times when I learned about what I wanted and I, and the level of autonomy that I wanted to have in, in, in a role. And so that led on to my time at List, which is where I'd probably say this was the first like, true tech company that I worked for, where half the, half of the staff were engineers and you have that level of freedom to build whatever you need to build to get your job done. And. It was a really excellent experience, again, leading a team of analysts, but this time also being in charge of the engineering part, the analysts engineering part, the data warehouse, terraforming it, the, we used Looker, so we were in charge of Looker Mail and that metrics layer as well. So we had pretty much control of everything we needed apart from the source data being given to us in hmm. S3. Yeah. So and what I am... Uh... What I'm really, yeah, what I'm really curious is, is like you started being a, like somebody interested in maths, physics, data, and then you found your way into an industry, but then you became a leader, you became a manager of people. And many of those people are again, very analytical minded. How has that transition to leadership been? Because when you work with people versus when you work with data, they are like very different. People are unpredictable. There are emotions involved. You cannot really like put algorithms in with people like you can do with data. How has that transition been? What has been some of the challenges that you have faced and how have you grown through that? Yeah, so I'd say my first taste of leading people rather than like being in charge of a process as an individual contributor were at WorldPay. And what happened was we hired some new like junior members of staff and I had already trained a few up, well, at least one or two up from scratch who didn't know anything, no Excel, no SQL, nothing, just grads and trained them up. So, so I, I'd already experienced mentoring, but 
And then just before I started building out the portfolio pricing team I did, I built at WorldPay, I again had the chance to mentor someone. And this person ended up becoming my direct report, even though they didn't start out that way. So I, what I've realized about leadership in terms of management is that there's, there's three components. There's mentoring, there's career coaching, and then there's task management. And I think a lot of people who go into leadership don't understand these three components and they end up just doing one or at best two and then neglecting the third. And whenever you neglect one of the three things, it goes wrong because they're all essential. And in fact, I'll probably go into this later, but I believe that it's possible to actually split that into three separate roles. But having said that, I've done all three in my management roles. So because I'd started with the mentoring, I understood that part. And the bits, the task management became easier because for me, it was, this was something I would have done myself, but then I was given the chance to build a team to do it because they didn't want to have one single person build a, that, a system of that size. And they wanted to have knowledge redundancy as well because of how much I knew. So I understood the task management piece because I knew exactly what I needed to do. And I had a map of what I wanted to build to get there. And then the last piece was career coaching, which I hadn't ever had to learn before. Now, thankfully, my line manager at the time was an excellent career coach and he taught me his, his methods. And then he, I then translated them to become my own. So I, that's how I, that's how I've learned leadership in that sense, in terms of leading a team is understanding those three components and using them well to develop your team, to make sure your team's building something good and is in the right order and something of value. And then also developing them in terms of skills and ability. Yeah. And can you share some of the challenges? Because I speak to a lot of technical people and I myself have a background in, in software. And when a large part of your day involves dealing with the data or processes, and then you have to coach somebody, you have to listen to somebody's concerns. It's a very subtle shift, a mental shift that unless you make, you start to see everything as a problem. And if you start to take the problem-solving mindset to people, it doesn't work. So can you share some of the challenges or maybe some unlearning that you had to do along the way? Yeah, I, I think this is again linked to the career coaching part, right? Because with mentoring, often they just, they want you to solve it. They want you to show them how to solve a problem. That's the kind of the point of mentoring. With the career coaching part, that's the part where you're trying to guide them towards solving their own problem and to developing themselves. And that's like a real mindset shift where you have to start learning to ask questions that helps help to learn what they need to or go where they need to. There's also, I think, a mindset shift in thinking, okay, I'm looking after this team. Actually, that's what I'm really supposed to be doing. Because a lot of people who go into that leadership for the first time still think they need to be firing at all cylinders as an individual contributor as well. And really, once you've got a team of three or four, that's actually the minority of your time. The majority of your time is looking after your team in the three ways I mentioned, but also then 
representing your team in different contexts around the business. And I think that's a real mindset, like, cause, because lots of people end up in management organically and they don't, um, they're not, that kind of line is not explicit. And I think thankfully for me, I gradually moved in. So I had the, I started with one person then I added another, and then I gradually learned to relinquish some of the things I was doing to those team members. And then suddenly I'm looking after a team of three or four and I've learned to that I'm supposed to be delegating a fair amount. I think that was helpful for me. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And if I zoom out a little bit into the future, right? Where are you headed? What is it that you are seeking going forward? Towards the end of my time at this, I was managing a team, a few teams, probably up to 25 people, I'd say. And you get to a point there where you just can't know what everyone's working on. You have general themes of what's going on and then your tech leads inside those teams are the ones who actually know the detail of what's going on in their team. And then actually the individual contributors are the only ones who know exact individual pieces of work that well. And for me, that was interesting because it was the first time I've been that far away from the execution. And the troublesome part for me was there, there wasn't a data leadership role above me. Like I was the most senior person in data, but at the same time, I was relatively, I wouldn't say junior, but I was, there was the C-level and then there was another the VPs below that. And then there was the level that I was at. So I found it very hard to have the organizational impact. I needed to have to make that role fulfilling and to have the impact that I needed. You're not doing individual contribution work. You need to be doing like organizational impact work. And if that's not there, you begin to feel a bit lost. And that's what happened to me. And so that's reevaluated what I want from a role. So in my current role, I don't manage anyone at all. That's not to say I don't want to do it ever again in the future. It's just, uh, I am enjoying the fact that in the, as much as we don't have a C-level that I'm involved in every kind of decision that goes on in the company, I'm Yes, I do data work, but I also do other different kinds of work, including product management. And then as you think about the future as well, I've started to kind of delve into software engineering. So I, I can see myself become spending a bit more time as an individual contributor for a while. And I don't know where that leads afterwards, not in all honesty. Yeah, but as you rightly said, when you work more closely with the C-level or the business folks, then a lot of emphasis is on the communication, is on influence, on building yeah. trust, building those relationships, rather than like just proving a point or showing evidence for your point of view. What do you find most challenging when working with people who are very different from who you are in the way that their background, but also how they think and also what they care about. Business people, they, they have a focus, they have a intention. So how what is it that you find most challenging in that communication, in that space, where you your responsibility is going up, but at the same time, you, you have that background of, of data analytics and technical, which might be limited. Yeah. So I think thankfully, because of my time in finance, and then I also gained into an accounting qualification in that time, which is like the equivalent of CPA in the US. I have quite a good commercial like foundation to, to rely on. And that's really helped me understand business and those commercial stakeholders, what they're looking for. 
So that, I haven't struggled with that. And someone who's always happy to just go and wander over pre-COVID, go and wander over someone's desk, ask them about what they need and what they're trying to do and then really get my head around it. And I haven't found that difficult. What I, what I found difficult is when you're not involved in, in why something's happened, and then you're just told, oh, this is what we need from you afterwards. It's very difficult to do your job well, because you're getting, you're already having to translate the requirements to your team to go and execute. But if you weren't even there when the problem was discussed, it's very challenging and it's isolating in a way. And that's one of the things that I struggle with. And I, I remember there being times where I've let more from like playing football with different people in the company and hearing like one of them being a product manager somewhere else in the company and then hearing from the chief product officer, oh, this is our big priority. And as the most senior person in data in the company, I didn't even know that was priority for the business. And it's the sort of thing where if you're not involved, you, you just get isolated and there's, it's very difficult, especially when you ask the question of, we don't, we need like senior data leadership at a higher level involved in these conversations. And then there's just not much traction. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And you mentioned football, right? What else keeps you busy apart from work, apart from data? What else lights you up? And so I, yeah, I enjoy yeah football, different sport. I have two small children, so that takes up the vast majority of my spare time. Then the level of idea of of traveling for work as well. So I'm going to New Orleans next week for the DPT conference. I think between those things, there's not time. <laughs> I, I love <laughs> to play the old video game as well, but I just, I very, I, weeks go by without me getting to continue <laughs> with whatever I was playing last. <laughs> yeah, but I think sports and some kind of creative activity yeah. can allow those conversations which normally doesn't happen in the workplace very easily. Absolutely. As you shared, this is again something which I have found and which I recommend when I work with teams who are very business-driven, very task-focused, to do something creative. And that will allow them to actually do better at when they come back to the boardroom, when they come back to the conference room as well. Yeah. Uh, so thank you for sharing that. And I, because I wanted to pick that up on because that while playing football, you heard about a priority which you had. Yeah, it's those, at, it's, thank you for sharing that. Before we wrap up, how do you manage pressure? Like, there is a lot of pressure in leadership roles or roles with high responsibility. And also with the last two to three years, we have seen a huge amount of change. Not just in the way we work, but also the market scenarios. And almost everybody is stressed because the future is very uncertain. We can't really predict. How do you take in everything and continue forward, ensuring that not just you are productive, but your well-being is also taken care of? Yeah, it's really interesting. I just read this morning, actually, a blog post by someone called John Cutler from Aptitude, who's a, he's a product manager there. And, oh, product, sorry, product evangelist, actually, and coach. And he, he posted this diagram, which is like a comparison of pre-COVID in-office work and post-COVID remote work. And he did, he highlighted there could be real problems with this because essentially it's very easy for that style of work, even though you have the flexibility of being where you want to be and maybe keeping the hours you, you want, you can end up working a lot more 
than you would have done if you were going to the office in the morning and leaving and leaving your work in the office. Now, I think like for me, it's been a while since that was true anyway. I punched a computer I took home with me and work I did on the train. And if I needed to do more, I'd do more. And so that kind of balanced me. It wasn't so clear even before COVID. But I can really understand how some people, especially when you feel obligated or you feel just because the work is there, I want to just, I feel I have to do it. And you feel like you need to get everything done. And I've heard this from different people where they just, there's pressure from every angle and they just end up working 16 hours a day or maybe not so long, but a lot. And the only way, the only solution to this is planning and prioritization, I think, because there'll always be more work. There's, even in my current role, I do five or six possible different activities and all of them could be a full-time job if they needed to, if you wanted them to be. And you have to choose, what am I going to do today? What am I going to do this week? And you say, what are the things outstanding? What are the things that are most impactful to where our company wants to go? And I think that's maybe a bit easier to do at the smaller company, even though there's more work at a smaller company, it's easier to know exactly what's important. In a larger company, knowing what the main focus of the company is and how that relates to what you do, it's harder. But I think this is where product management could really help. If we have a, a very strong product management discipline, which understands the true limits of the people they've got and trying to keep them within healthy limits of the way they operate. And therefore says, look, this is what we can actually get done. This sprint, this today, in this week, prioritizes the right things. And then says, we're not doing other things. This is what we can do. Cause otherwise you're always going to try and drink the sea. There's always too much. You have to decide that this is what I'm going to do. And at least as a plan, sure, yeah. things will come and blow that plan away. But then you've tracked that. You've said, this was the plan. Someone came and blew it up and we've had to do this instead. That's why we didn't do the plan. Then it's understood. I think that's the only way. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Especially listening and understanding what is the priority, what will make the most impact to the business. And yes, there will always be more work to do. And I think the second thing which you are pointing towards is also then having that courage or uh, that sense to say no and to draw those clear boundaries of uh, that uh, it's not only about getting more done but it's also about sustaining ourselves for the long term and then becoming or saying no becomes a very important skill to develop for any leader especially when there is pressure how to be yourself but still draw those boundaries when required yeah and i think it's also worth thinking when you say yes to too much like the things that are the most important things that you should be doing they get degraded because if you're working six, like 12 to 16 hours, you're not working at your 100% optimal that whole time. We were working at 50% or something less, maybe. And so the eight hours that you spent on the thing you should have worked on is worth four. And it's just that much worse. Yeah. Whereas if you manage, if you balanced, the things you work on should be higher quality as well. So it's kind of, if you work, if you're distracted and focus the wrong way, you rob the rocks of your company, I think. Yes. 
Yes. And I think another thing I think which comes from that, which I often share with people, is that if you cannot say no, or if the culture is like that, that people cannot say no openly, then what that also means is that the yeses cannot be trusted. And as you were pointing out, the quality of those yeses becomes much, much lesser, which basically takes away from the point of having to say yes and no yeah. to a commitment, to a task. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. That's very relevant. It looks very trivial, but it has a huge impact on the quality of work that gets done and then the quality of well-being, the quality of the people that are part of it. And I think this is why I think the product management discipline has exploded just as, as just in just the, the same fashion that the engineering discipline has because it's just so hard. It's, a, it's such a difficult role to get right. And there's many people in those roles out there who actually are getting that right today. And I think that's why you're seeing uh, the fallout and the burnout in the people who are in their squads. It's, it's just not going as well as it should be. Yes, I think the project manager role is like in the middle of all different parties where you have to listen to everybody, keep everybody happy at the same time. Nobody is directly reporting to you, so you have to manage all of that. So it can be a challenging role, but it can teach you so much about these intricacies when we work with people. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, David, for everything that you shared. It was uh, wonderful listening to your views. And going forward, I want to wish you best with everything that lies ahead for you. Thanks, me. It's been a pleasure to be on the podcast. Yeah, same here. It was wonderful to have you here. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast. And I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction. Not just for yourself, but for everybody around you. If you got something out of this episode, would you share this episode on social media? And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show? And if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come and have big dreams for the future, please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast. And I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. This is what I do most naturally, to lovingly and gently provoke you, to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of, to make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and it means a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to deployyourself.com and subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on LinkedIn. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality and I want to thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.